for example, robocallers suing them. Everyone hates robocallers and everyone has to pick up the phone. And when Do Not Pay launched a product that helps you sue robocallers, it's a win for everyone. Thank you for joining us on our next Security Tools podcast. Today, we are having a guest that I have been an admirer of for a while, ever since I heard of Do Not Pay. We have Joshua Browder with us today. Thank you so much for joining me on such short notice. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. So I have to confess, I first found out about Do Not Pay back when I was working in automation. And I was working at basically Uber for trucking at a Korean startup that was trying to automate the jobs of freight brokers. And I had a lot of questions around whether or not what we were doing was a good idea. We were basically automating people's jobs and it was kind of inefficient in order to have them there in the first place, but we were kind of replacing things that were trade-based skills. And I didn't really see how this was benefiting anyone. It was kind of just making the people at the very top a little bit richer and cutting a bunch of people at the bottom out. But I started looking at ways that automation was actually helping people. And your project was one of the first ones that I came across. It didn't seem anything other than just altruistic. Like it was genuinely connecting people to services that were kind of too complicated for a lot of other people to take advantage of. And I'm wondering if is automation something that you originally went out to focus on? Or is this something that came across maybe by looking at aspects of the law and kind of where it could be improved on? I tried to focus on automation actually from day one. So to give you more background on how, how this started, um, I also came across this by accident. I got a lot of parking tickets. I was a terrible driver and I accumulated about 30 of these tickets. And I realized that um, if I wanted to get out of my fines, I would have to pay a lawyer hundreds of dollars just to copy and paste a few documents and send off the right legal words to the government. And so I decided I couldn't afford that. And so I had to do some research myself. And what I learned is if you just uh, say the right thing over and over again, you can send them a document and get out of your parking tickets. And I thought there's no way that as a society we should be paying lawyers 50% of the cost of the ticket um, just to do this very basic work. And I think it would be a lot better if it were free. So that was why I created Do Not Pay um, originally, just to get my family and friends out of their parking tickets and not pay these expensive lawyers and automate away uh, what they were charging a lot of money for. Well, this actually kind of reminds me, I got a speeding ticket recently, maybe a year or two ago, and it was in a very remote county. And I obviously, I'm not going to go back to court there. So that limits my options of what I can do. But a lawyer here, when you actually pay them, like you said, about half the cost of the ticket, just makes you fill out a fancy form. And they basically pre-populate the entire piece of paperwork and just ship it. And they even, actually, no, they even make you send it in yourself and they charge a lot of money for it. So a lot of the time, this is, you're basically supplying all the information yourself and all the lawyer is really doing is sticking it on the right form and telling you what courthouse to mail it into. It's just, they're betting on the fact that you don't have enough time to do this yourself and you probably don't have the right information to make the decision, you know, even do it for free because it would just be too time consuming, really. That's exactly right. And you said that you were researching a driverless trucking um, idea. And I would say this is like 10 times simpler to automate. This is the lowest hanging fruit of automation. Technology is very good at understanding rules. And because it's just documented, it's actually very surprising that this hasn't already been done. So a lot of different industries have been kind of afraid of automation. But in general, there have been some people that have felt pretty safe in all of this. But ironically, lawyers are ones that are not so safe. Can you tell me a little bit about why lawyers and law in general 
are a good target for automation. So I think that um, lawyers are very good at protecting themselves because they're the ones who make the laws. And so they've actually created a lot of laws to establish themselves and make sure that they're always needed. But they've left out a big industry within that, which is consumer rights, where consumer rights, you can represent yourself online, you can send it in via mail, and that stuff can actually be very easily automated. The rest of the law can also be automated, but because there are requirements for people to actually be in court with these special protectionist licenses, the other stuff is not so easy to automate. So a lot of this is kind of hacking society almost. These are things that have been established as processes a lot of people have to go through, but the ways of doing it have been made so complicated that normal people have to pay someone in order to effectively get navigate through this environment that's been set up. This is kind of breaking through all that and allowing people to take back some control in that process. That's right. There's a lot of artificial complexity in our society where we're making people uh, read Latin just to, uh, I don't know, expunge records from a criminal conviction 10 years ago. There are la- there's literally Latin on these forms. <laughs> and you shouldn't have to uh, pay to play to get access to your rights. Everyone should have them automatically, or at the very least, it shouldn't take very much just to get what you're owed in life. So are there other ways that this sort of technology can open up services that are either too complicated or expensive for normal people to take advantage of? So at Do Not Pay, we have a a roadmap plan for the next year or so, 50 different areas where every month or so we have new products coming out. And every day people are being ripped off by large corporations and the government with things like property taxes, fees from private companies. And I think that although we've come a long way with Do Not Pay, we're only 1% of the way there. So even in consumer rights, the potential is endless. And then beyond that, things like employment law, divorce law. There's no reason why if two people want to get a divorce and they agree on everything, they have to pay a middleman, a lawyer, just to get the paperwork done. And that's called no-fault divorce, and that's the most common uh, type. So this isn't, you know, just people being ripped off by consumers. And this is also people that just want to be able to get access to some of the basic legal rights they need to live their lives or or take care of some of these things like a divorce without needing to escalate it to someone who might have a vested interest in having it be long and drawn out or having it be unnecessarily complicated, because that's kind of directly more money in their pocket. Yeah, I would say that if lawyers are not charging hundreds of dollars by the hour, they're charging on a contingency basis. And their incentive is just to make these problems as big as possible. One of the best examples of this is there was the Equifax data breach, which I'm sure you know because you're in the security world, where hundreds of millions of Americans had their data breached. And the only people that won from that are the lawyers, because maybe like three years later, everyone's going to get a $5 check in the mail from the class action settlement. But the lawyers are being paid millions and millions to get this done, but the average person has no justice. So it's arguable that just because something is is being done against the company, at least some small measure of justice is maybe they'll do their security a tiny bit better. But for the average person who now has to worry about that data being out there and doesn't know what information has been breached or even what information is contained probably in their full credit report, you know, that's not very helpful to them. That's right. So do you feel like there's a large need for this in general? Do you feel like there are people that are excluded from parts of society by not having access to either legal knowledge or some other sort of complexity that's holding them back from being able to exercise a right? I think so. And I think that this is actually the a universal problem that we can all agree on. Um, since I started Do Not Pay, I've seen 
Homeless people use our product to claim their rights. And I've seen very rich people like millionaires use their product to claim their rights. And it seems like, for example, robocallers suing them. Everyone hates robocallers <laughs> and everyone has to pick up the phone. And when Do Not Pay launched a product that helps you sue robocallers, it's a win for everyone. So I think that we don't agree on much, but the one thing that everyone can agree on is that we need more access to these rights to hold people accountable. That's nice. That's really nice, especially because a lot of the time it is pay to play, as you mentioned, and most people might not have access to either the money or the knowledge to be able to take care of a situation that can be either really scary or life threatening. Yeah, that's right. And even things like um, medical bills, you, you, uh, you can be bankrupted overnight if you just have to go to the hospital because you fainted. That's increasingly a problem for people. And knowing what is going to be charged to you and knowing what you're going to be accountable for is also something that's really difficult. So there's a lot of things here, like, for example, just living in Los Angeles, if you are a working class family and you get three parking tickets, they will tow your car. And if you don't take care of those parking tickets quickly, they will tow that car and bring it to a private company who charges you an arbitrary amount every night that it is in a tow lot until you can't afford to get it. And if you can't afford to basically pay first the city for all the parking tickets plus interest, and then for your car plus all the arbitrary fees and the towing fees, which are hundreds of dollars to move it even a mile, then they will hold it for 30 days, accrue as many fees as they can legitimately say might be accrued by parking it in a lot, and then sell it at auction. And if they don't get as much money as they think you owe them for the fees, they will sue you against your credit and basically ruin your credit going after you for the money that they decided your car has accrued parking in their lot. So things like parking lot, uh, parking tickets can literally make it impossible for a working class family here to make it to their job or to be able to get their kids to school. And it's a big deal when we talk about how quickly these things can add up and how big of an impact they have on regular families. Because I myself have experienced what it's like to have a parking ticket that I didn't have around a t enough time to respond to accumulate with maybe two that I didn't get because it either came off the car or you know I never found out about it and then lose a vehicle and the ability to get around or even accept a job on a different part of the city so that's kind of why I was initially so impressed by your project was there's a lot of people in Los Angeles that really struggle every time they get a parking ticket, because it essentially means they've worked a day for free. So having a service that doesn't still charge you and make it sting just that much, when it's just as simple as filling out a form or being able to work with a better interface is a really impressive way to direct your effort. That means a lot that you say that. And I would say that these towing companies are actually criminal. And what they do, even if you can pay all of these ridiculous fees, and you just want to get this sorted, they have these opening hours that make mean that you can't actually go on time so we have a lot of working class people who use our product and they say and the towing company says okay you can pick up your car but we're only available between 1 and 4 p.m every day and they're, they're just targeting people and exploiting them with all of these fees and with something like do not pay when you submit your parking appeal even if you're dead guilty and you're definitely not going to get off the ticket the right to appeal means that the ticket payment is frozen. So even if you can't afford to pay that parking ticket until the next paycheck, 
Um, the fact that the payment is frozen and the, com the towing company can't come and take your car for unpaid tickets is really important. And that's an added benefit of using something like do not pay. So for everybody who stands to benefit from a project like this, can you explain then what Do Not Pay is and how it got started? Sure. So right now, Do Not Pay is a focused across consumer rights and over 100 different features. Things like making big companies delete your data and not sell your data, traffic tickets, canceling subscriptions, appealing your bank fees. In America, there's hundreds of billions of dollars a year just being taken out of people's accounts in overdraft and ATM fees. So do not pay. Basically can fight any company fee and also deal with these tickets and subscriptions. It's not just people who get tickets. It's, I, I think that anyone in America should be using do not pay at the moment. I would agree. There's a lot of different things that I thought you would have to hire a professional to do that ended up being within the umbrella of do not pay. And uh, even today, we've just launched a new thing. Not so much around the law, but you can share and split subscriptions with friends because it's ridiculous now just to get all the shows you want to watch it costs a hundred dollars a month so this actually also got a lot of press when it first came out and again during the equifax breach what kind of effect did that have to get some publicity on your project after initially starting it it's really good because uh, we don't spend any money on marketing or do not pay we think that the best product should grow organically with people telling their friends and when something like the press comes out, it gets a lot of people using do not pay, but also a lot of people telling their friends. And there's this flywheel effect where even years later, we can still see people coming to our website uh, for Equifax. When you were starting this, did everybody just agree with you that it was a great idea? Or did you have to win people over? Like, what was it like actually having an idea like this that I mean, just listening to you, I'm like, yes, absolutely, this should exist. But like, what was it like getting the support you needed around you to, to get this off the ground? Or were you able to do most of this yourself? So uh, in terms of building it, no one's going to help you when you just start. So it was just me in my uh, room, staying up at 5am, uploading these parking ticket appeal letters. But I was lucky um, in the technology world, you can do anything yourself, spend $10 on a domain name, and then you're up and running. And so you don't need the resources to actually begin. And then once it launched, I would say 99% of people would love do not pay. But there is 1%, mainly lawyers who say the law can never be automated. This is like unethical, illegal. You always have to have the human touch. And they're actually the people on the billboards like the um, have you recently had an accident? They're the people we're trying to replace. So I, I, I don't blame them for disliking Do Not Pay. <laughs> well, based on the company that I basically paid half the price of the ticket to fill out a form that then turned into a document that I had to send in myself, I don't think that we're losing too much by making it free to do effectively the same thing. Yeah, and they could have at least paid for the postage, but they probably had to bail it yourself. Yeah, I actually lost that appeal too. Oh, wow. And you still have to pay them. Uh, of course. Of course I do. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So if you had some advice to someone else who saw a process that was unfair and thought that they could automate it. Uh, my research originally brought me to this because I was looking at novel, interesting interfaces that were making signups and registrations. And actually, at the time, we were working with the um, Federal Trucking Administration, uh, transportation, but uh, the one that deals with trucking, trying to automate signups for truckers. So we were looking for inspiration for uh, different people who are using interfaces in novel ways. And that's what kind of led me to your work originally. Would you give any advice to people who are looking to automate things like this or, or maybe get something like this up and running who are looking at this sort of thing as a new interface for people who might not have had access to the legal system before? 
I think there's uh, two parts to your question. The first is if you're looking to like automate a process, is it easy to get started? And I think it's really easy to get started. Me, when I started this in 2015, I was only 17 years old. And I didn't, I wasn't, I don't have a PhD in AI or anything. And I think it's a bit big misconception that you need to actually like understand artificial intelligence or decision trees to actually be able to use it. At the time, I hadn't studied any of that. But what I did know is that there are all these powerful tools online like Google Cloud, IBM Watson, where you can just plug and play, upload the data and actually get results. And um, you can have the same like abilities as even the top tech companies using APIs and things like that. And so I would say anyone who gets started, it's an amazing time to be alive. And it's much easier than you think to automate a process. For consumers, I think I would recommend if you see something that's very arduous, definitely do some research because across the industry, there's like all these tech companies automating every sort of thing in our lives. And maybe there's already a company that automates the manual process that you're stuck with. Thank you for unpacking my messy question, but that was exactly what I was hoping to learn. It, it just sounds like you were able to do a lot with pretty limited resources just because you were able to plug into some really powerful tools and take advantage of basically a process you learned that was arduous and not fun to do, but perfectly scalable with the right resources. Yeah, and I think it's gone even more in that direction. When I started, you at least had to know coding. But now that you don't even need to know coding, there are all these amazing like no code tools where you can just drag and drop. Are there any you might recommend for someone who wanted to get started with this sort of thing? Uh, Airtable and Webflow is great. Hmm. I've never heard of them. I thought you were going to say like Zapier. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Well, I'll have to check those out. So after Do Not Pay started getting a lot of press, um, you mentioned it was good. Uh, did you see any effect on the industry? Were there other people popping up starting to automate legal processes? Or did you see maybe the reverse where some of these legal processes were starting to automate rejection or be able to filter out automated, I guess, pre-assembled applications or paperwork versus ones that had been done by hand. So it seems obvious that an idea like do not pay should exist. It seems like we both agree that it's a good idea and it should exist in the world. And it has actually been tried before. And every time someone tries an idea like this, the reason that they it doesn't continue is because they're focusing on too narrow an area. So although I started with parking tickets, Do Not Pay has since expanded a lot, and I think that's helped us a lot. But there have been companies that have shut down trying to automate parking tickets because unless you're a bad driver like me, the average person in America maybe gets a parking ticket once every two years. So they're not going to remember your company. Yeah, you should focus on Los Angeles specifically. You'd be able to retire. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe it's, it's different there. We should definitely double down. Um so for Do Not Pay, there were companies before, but they didn't really do well because they weren't horizontal. What else? What was the second part that you said? Have any of the processes uh, or any of the agencies that are processing these applications adapted and started trying to filter out automated applications or automated paperwork? So when Do Not Pay launched in Los Angeles, and we still have a lot more work to do in LA, I think it was NPR asked the head of the parking ticket bureau what they thought of a service like Do Not Pay launching in LA. And what they said, interestingly, is we actually welcome Do Not Pay because at least when it comes from them, the parking appeals are all standardized and easy to read. People write such gibberish in their letters when they're writing it themselves that it, a Do Not Pay is easy for them to quickly determine whether it's legit or not. And I thought that was good. 
lots of other local authorities don't like us because unfortunately parking tickets are not always issued to punish wrongdoing. They're issued sometimes as a source to make money for them. And so they've tried lots of things to try and stop us. Things like throwing out our appeals with more prejudice than like a regular appeal. And so a do not pay is like an arms race. What we try and do is every appeal that's sent on behalf of a user, there's no mention of do not pay. And in fact, we randomize the letters so that every letter is slightly different. So they can't tell for sure that it's come from us. That's beautiful. The company that I was paying is basically using a pre-filled form that never changes. And it's obvious, you know, that they are the ones sending it because it's always the same. But what you're talking about is always going to be different just because I'm assuming I probably lost that appeal because it was so obvious that I paid a service to do it that, you know, they dismissed it or chose not to give it an appropriate amount of consideration. Yeah. Um, and so if you submit it from do not pay, it just seems like you're, you're a lawyer yourself because they don't know your background or maybe you've hired one. Hmm. Which is a lot more expensive than the average person is able to afford when dealing with something as simple as a parking ticket. It's convenient to be a lawyer or no one, but most people don't have access to that. So this just gives you, I guess, more cover as someone who is taking advantage of the system the way it was kind of designed. I hope so, yes. So it sounds like there have been some people reacting to this kind of as I would hope, basically seeing it as an enhanced interface or as a better way of getting people to submit the paperwork that's necessary on the state side to be able to you know, process whatever needs to happen. And both gives the consumer their best shot at getting a fair outcome, but also gives the, I guess, the recipient of all that paperwork a clear understanding of, of at least what the hell the person is trying to say or like what what their move is. Was the, the sign covered in stickers? You know, was the it not clearly marked? Was it knocked over? Like, you know, what what happened? Like most people, I imagine, are just furious because it's so expensive that they just lost four hundred dollars or something. And, you know, they just want to um, shout at someone, which is not helpful to figure out how to proceed. That's exactly right. And I would say that I've, I've been very negative on lawyers on your show, but there are lots of good lawyers out there, like focusing on civil rights, which is very important these days. And in fact, the ABA, American Bar Association, has just endorsed do not pay. So only the one only one percent of lawyers don't like us, the exploitative ones. Yeah. And I would say the only thing we've really definitively said that's bad about lawyers is that they're expensive. <laughs> if lawyers were cheap and available everywhere, if I had infinite lawyer friends I could consult, I'm sure that my life would be a lot easier and more stable. But it's just that these things are typically out of reach to the average person. So bringing them in reach really does seem like a great idea. I hope so. So that's a little bit about how there's, I guess, entities you're interacting with have reacted to do not pay. How have you reacted in return? Um, how has Do Not Pay expanded or what kind of growth have you seen from the initial reaction, both from consumers and from the entities that you're submitting paperwork to? So um, the work is never over at Do Not Pay. The biggest reaction we have is people assume we're a law firm. They don't really understand that we're a tech company and uh, we don't actually employ any lawyers full time to write out these long documents. And so what they do is we have a contact form on our website they write to us and say, oh, my landlord is like not returning my security deposit. Uh, how can we, how can I deal with this? And we're just like overwhelmed by these messages. And unfortunately that gives us, or I should say fortunately, that gives us lots of um, expansion ideas. And so the best way we're reacting is we have a list of things that are really important to fix and we just keep rolling them out. Um, last month it was robocallers, this month it was subscriptions. Hopefully in the next few months, we're working on uh, employment issues. 
And anything that the, uh, troubles the average person is on our roadmap. Obviously, we're not looking to help people get out of being accused of serious crimes, but something that an ordinary person gets, you know, has to worry about in their day-to-day -day life, do not pay as fair game to solve. That's excellent. I guess that actually is a good way to ask, what what is your line then for these sorts of social causes? Because as you said, getting out of serious crimes is one thing that probably right now shouldn't be automated fully. But there are lots of cases of lower level crimes that would still seriously impact someone's ability to gain employment or otherwise you know, be able to live their normal lives that are disproportionate, maybe for poorer communities or for other people that don't have access to the same legal resources. Are those the sorts of problems you're also interested in solving? Yeah, and we take a very objective look at the line. And I think for us, our criteria is the problem has to impact at least 10 million people worldwide. And if there were 10 million like people committing serious crimes worldwide every year, I think it would be dangerous to go out on the street. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay, so then what kinds of what kinds of I guess problems make a good target for automation or draw you to a project? Because you mentioned that you've expanded in a lot of different ways, but what's a consistent I guess indicator that something would be a good focus for your attention? So anything where you can be represented online or through the mail is our focus. As I alluded to before, there's a lot of artificial complexity where you might have to show up in court with like a special representative or a lawyer. And obviously for that, robots aren't allowed in the courtroom, so there's just nothing we can do. We can have the best tech, the best documents, it doesn't make a difference. So it has to be something that's entirely automated. And also, we can't afford to pay an army of people to just type documents all day. So it has to be something that software can understand. And I think for like, you know, very complicated cases, you still need people drafting these documents. But for anything as simple as a traffic ticket and its equivalent issues, it can be done automatically. So do you think that there are people who know these systems intimately, like people that work either work with them or have, have interacted with them so much that they could learn the tools of automation to help with projects like Do Not Pay, or basically develop interfaces for local legal processes that might not affect 10 million people, but might be a serious problem in their particular community? Yeah, so we actually have a, a tool that we give to very select few people because we want to have as much oversight to make sure it's being used for good, where you don't need to code, but you can actually build bots and add it to our platform. That's excellent. And what kinds of, uh, when designing that access, like what kinds of projects did you have in mind? So things like uh, we had a bankruptcy pr professor in uh, Boston design like a local bankruptcy bot that helps people stop their creditors after you've first declared bankruptcy. And that's something that probably we wouldn't do because not that many people are declaring bankruptcy in Boston, but it's such an important issue and systems automate that we gave him access. That's fantastic. If there was a group that wanted to reach out to you about that, how would the best way of doing that be? Um, so my email is public. It's just joshua at do not pay dot com. Cool. Yeah, that seems like something that maybe some nonprofit groups or other people that deal with a lot of legal cases might really, really benefit from having. And I, I'm sure a lot of them could make a good pitch for their cause. So hopefully I don't flood you with that. But it could also maybe uh, make some good change. I hope so. So this kind of automation is going to change the industry. That's a definite. And we've seen in automation change all sorts of other industries. Are there other industries besides law that you think are vulnerable or I guess maybe just ready for this sort of change? I think um, accounting is like the equivalent in, 
um, industry, there has been all this pushback um, on why you need to hire like, um, well, TurboTax is a, or Intuit and TurboTax is a tech company, but why aren't tax returns just automated and things like that? So I think accounting is a huge area that should be automated. It's interesting. When we were thinking about the various jobs that would be replaced, you know, we initially thought about low skill jobs like the the freight brokers that mostly work with relationships and basically like need to have really good people skills and and know a lot about the domain specific stuff. But we thought that those would be the jobs that would be easier to automate to automate. But the more I'm learning about automation, the more it actually seems like accountants and lawyers and x-ray technicians are the ones that have more to worry about nowadays. That's so true. And I think that's true for two reasons. The first is that technology can never replace the human touch, but there is no human touch involved in writing documents. And the second reason is these people are just more expensive. It would be so great for everyone in the economy if you could access it more cheaply. So then a lot of this is opening up opportunities for people that previously haven't had access. I remember also that green cards, uh, automating applications for asylum, like these are also projects that you've chosen to take on. Is that right? That's right. Uh, We step back away from that because interestingly, like immigration law, it's not really the law. It's just like administration process that can be changed overnight. Ah, So in that case, it would probably be pretty difficult to try to automate something that could, without any word or official notice, just be changed instantly. That's right. And um, it's a bit of a shame to put a lot of effort into something and then just have it uh, plucked by the government. So that's also kind of a good way to segue into asking, this is another interface for people who might not always have access to uh, legal rights, but is this something that could be abused as well? Is this a tool that could be used to either maybe flood a process or trick people into revealing information they shouldn't or otherwise abuse a system rather than have better access to it? When I first started, I thought that that would be a big concern. And so I put a lot of effort into thinking about how to protect Do Not Pay from being at risk of abuse. For example, we have this product where uh, you can take someone or a company to small claims court, which is below $10,000. And I was worried that there'd be lots of these frivolous cases. But what I found out over time is that technology and abuse don't really go that well in this area. And the reason is that the crazies already know how to use the system and technology can actually slow them down. And so they don't like using our tool. So going back to that small small claims court example, you our technology makes you wait 10 days. You have to send them a demand letter and then wait 10 days before you can file the court paperwork. And the crazies don't like that. They're very impatient. And so because it slows them down and has all these automated protections, it hasn't been an issue. But there are lots of people who don't put the thought into it, and maybe that's when it gets abused. That's very interesting you mentioned that because I've done a lot of research on harassing lawsuits and how effectively those have been used and how people can get really good results with those in the United States anyway, uh, just by harassing an either an agency or a group with lawsuits until they can't defend themselves. But I'm happy to hear that that hasn't been a problem or at least there's enough automated things built in that it's easier for them to just use their own existing methods than rather than try to abuse something that's designed to try to help people. Yeah, we have limits that um, the normal person would never hit. But if you hit them, uh, you'll be banned across every service we offer. I'm really happy that you built in protections to this because... Anytime you're creating a new interface to a legal process or inviting a bunch of people that might be disadvantaged people to participate, you know, it's always a little nerve wracking to know that it's not just the people that you want who are going to be using this tool. It could also be someone that you, know, you don't want using it. 
But if they prefer to use their own methods and there are enough safeguards built in to make it annoying for people looking to abuse the system to use, then it makes sense that it wouldn't be a big source of problems, at least for now. Yeah. So you hinted a little bit about this and uh, there's been a lot of press around, uh, or at least I've seen a lot of press on my Twitter around your one of your latest tools that's designed to prevent scammers from taking advantage of people and even allow you to strike back a little bit. Can you explain what that is and why people like it so much? Yeah, so uh, the big companies, I'm thinking of AT&T and Apple, have failed to protect average people from robocalls. And if you're a small business owner or uh, any profession, really, you still need to pick up your phone. And it got to the point where I was on, it was Christmas Day of last year, and I'd got the fourth robocall of the day. And I thought, do not pay help people with so many other issues. We need to expand to help people with robocalls. And what I learned is there's actually all of these laws in the U.S., mainly something called the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, where you can actually sue robocallers for thousands of dollars per violation. But just like everything else we do, people didn't have the legal knowledge or the time to um, get their rights under these um, statutes. And so I thought this is perfect for us to do. I remember that time. And for me, like I knew that what these people were doing was illegal, but I had no idea like how I could ever do anything about it. Because as soon as I tried to get information, they would catch on to me and they would just hang up. So like there didn't seem to be any way that even me, like knowing that what they were doing was illegal and and trying to you know figure out who these people were, that you know by using call spoofing or other methods to look like they were calling from my hometown or something like that, it was really difficult to know like how to actually track these people down. Yeah, and that was the biggest problem. And so the way we solve that is in the Do Not Pay app, a virtual credit card pops up. And when these robocallers are trying to sell you something, you can give them our card and then through the payment network, when they try and scam you, you're actually getting them by uh, getting their phone, name, and address, which is all the details you need to sue them. So, okay, so a scenario would go like this. Someone calls you from a number that looks like it's from your hometown, and you pick up, and they're trying to sell you bogus health insurance or something like that, or whatever whatever it is, a cruise. So you then play along, you say that you're really excited and you don't let on that you actually know that they're a scammer and then you give them this credit card acting like you know you're an idiot and then as soon as they run it you get all the information about whoever's bank account they just try to put it in and you can sue that person yeah and um a step before that is do not pay will automatically register you for the federal do not call list so that when they do call you it's a violation of federal law and you can get up to one thousand five hundred dollars per call and then a step after is it will actually generate all the paperwork, including the demand letter and court filing documents to get that money. Oh, my God. OK, wait, wait, wait. So they call you, you get them to run the card. And then any time that they call you after that, you can sue them for a thousand dollars. No, that you can even the first call because you're on this do on this do not call list. So the fact that they called you initially is enough. Wow. Okay. So, all right. So you don't even need to trick them the first time and, and then have it be a sting. It's already a sting the second they call you. It's it's already on. Exactly. <laughs> okay. That's pretty amazing. And I think for a lot of people, it would be probably be pretty satisfying to just pretend to be stupid enough to put your credit card into you know their system and just get that result back of like finally knowing who's behind it. Yeah. And uh, we see on the back end who these scammers are. And it's so interesting. Like, um, what, what their businesses are. And we, we have the best data on uh, scammers across the US. Can you share some wild stories, maybe anonymized as, as you need to? Um, you know, you're catching me off guard, but 
I, I think these cruise companies are the worst. And I think now that the uh, admi- uh, government has said that no one should go on cruises, maybe they'll stop calling people. <laughs> well, I'm curious, what kind of companies are the ones that are actually behind these credit cards that are you know, presumably being taken from people that are either being lured into something that's clearly not real or vulnerable, like, a, like an elderly person or someone that might be mentally ill? Yeah, it's a tax on the most vulnerable in society. So there are two types of companies. There are the complete scammers like IRS people phoning you up. And those ones are usually based abroad and there's not much we can do. But there's a second type, which we call telemarketers. And they make up around 50% of robocalls. And they're the people trying to get uh, elderly people in America to buy stuff from them and things like that. And they're US businesses that we can take out. And it really, they're not in one particular industry, but the one thing they have in common is they're trying to use deceptive business practices to take people's money. That's fantastic. I cannot tell you how much I like this project. (laughs) Mostly because, you know, I had to switch to a a Google voice number years ago just because I lost control of my normal number. I was getting so many scam calls and they were, you know, they were using call spoofing and it was never clear who I was actually talking to that it became a nightmare. But now shifting the risk to the other side so that every time a scammer tries to grab a credit card, they're not sure if that's the card that's going to cost them $1,000 and maybe lead to a, a flurry of other you know, lawsuits or, or other people knowing what they're up to. That's a big deal. Yeah, I don't want to sound too much like a conspiracy theorist, but a big like big telephone companies should have stopped this problem a long time ago. And I think they're actually contributing to the problem by selling our data. It's well documented that telephone companies and credit card companies sell your data. And guess who's buying that data? Marketers who give you these calls. Increasingly, these calls are also very specific, where they'll be talking about health insurance or something else that like might be a factor in that person's life. I wouldn't be surprised if the data was out there for these sorts of companies to take advantage of people that might be, for example, between health insurance or might be, you know, maybe owing the IRS some money or there might be some public information out there, especially with these data breaches that could give them an indication of who might be vulnerable to this sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm glad that you are helping to shift the risk to the other side, because the more people that know about this, the more people can basically lay a trap and make this industry a lot more risky for scammers who are out there trying to take advantage of people that don't know any better. Yeah. And I actually just saw that they actually have a robocaller conference. I think it's online because of the coronavirus. And there's a whole session at the conference on why you should be worried about tools like do not pay. So they're definitely paying attention. (laughs) So what do you think their next move is? I think their next move is um, scammers are very creative, but I I think they'll stop because like you said, every time they pick up the phone in the back of their mind, they're thinking, wow, maybe, you know, this could cost me $1,500. So hopefully the problem of robocalls end, but, and the scammers will work on better problems in life. Right. Uh, I mean, like you said, there seem to be two different types here. So if you make it so difficult for the the legal gray area, the people who are using deceptive business practices, but are legitimate businesses in the United States who can be reached, if you can take out those people, that at least makes a lot of a difference here. Because these are people that we know are able to actually charge for services that might be deceptive, but they are real services. They're just taking advantage of people. So the people abroad, you know, those IRS scams, like those are at a certain point, like we have to expect those sorts of scams. There's no real services behind them. They're just people trying to scare you into giving up money. But, you know, on the domestic side, it makes a lot more sense to try to eradicate the um, the advantage 
of buying data, targeting a bunch of people from a call center somewhere cheap, and then just taking as much money as you can from people who might you know, be lured into taking a cruise now of all times. Yeah. And I, I, I highlight the US ones because that's where the money is to be made for the users and everyone loves that. But one thing I should say is that there are some people who use Do Not Pay and give the fake credit card even to the scammers abroad. And although they can't sue them, uh, we know who they are through their merchant ID, and then you can report them to institutions like Visa. So you can still play your part in shutting them down, but obviously you don't make much money from the ones abroad. Do you think that in the future, focusing on the abroad scammers might be uh, an increased priority as the market becomes less profitable in the United States? I think that the scammers abroad are a big problem, but I also think that People aren't stupid and it's a lot easier for the telemarketers to make money than it is for the people that say, you know, you're wanted by the IRS. And so I think that it's, it's all going to die and hopefully we can play a part in taking out the businesses segment. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I'm glad that you are working on projects like this. So that's one that I've seen a lot of press around. Are there anything else in the, in the pipeline around automation that you are focusing on now? So we think a lot about... Um, I think the big misconception, do not pay is like typically considered legal tech, legal technology. And the biggest misconception about legal tech is that if you just automate the right document, you can solve people's problems. But we don't really see it that way. We see the law as society's operating system where you can integrate with other things like the payment network and create this holistic product that really solves the problem. And so we're actually, our next big thing, as I mentioned, is employment. And we have this lots of data coming in that will really support things like unequal pay claims and things like that. That's really exciting. So if someone was just listening to this podcast and their mind was kind of blown by all this access they might be able to have to a legal process that might otherwise be too complicated, what would you tell them to check out first? Like which of do not pay services are probably the most exciting for a consumer that didn't know this sort of thing was out there? Um, so I would say sign up at do not pay.com at some One of our most popular services is something called the free trial credit card. And what this is, is it's another virtual credit card that you can use for any free trial and it will cancel it for you automatically and you don't have to give them your real payment details. Yeah, that's great. Another one that I really like is in-flight Wi-Fi refund. If you've been on the flight in the last two years and the in-flight Wi-Fi hasn't worked, send it to Do Not Pay. It will get you your refund and it always works. It's our highest success rate product. Uh, we only have like a 70% success rate for parking tickets, which is still higher than average, but in-flight Wi-Fi refunds always work. Okay, risk-free. You now know that it will be so easy to get your refund if your Wi-Fi doesn't work, you might as well just get it. Yeah. That's great. Is there anything else out there uh, that people might maybe want to be aware of besides do not pay if they're interested in this sort of legal tech space? Have you seen anything else that's kind of piqued your interest or you thought was a good idea that's maybe inspired you for future features or future projects? Um, I would say that there's this amazing nonprofit. It's called Code for America. And um, it's inspiring because their, their approach is like top down. So do not pay is a very bottom up approach. Consumers should empower themselves and use technology to fight back. But Code for America is uh, going the other way and saying, what if we could have automation in the government itself for people? And obviously, that's a lot slower in various different areas. But they've done amazing work like automatically expunging all the uh, marijuana convictions in San Francisco, for example. So that's really inspiring for me. 
That's amazing. Yeah, because as I said, when I first found your work, I was looking at ways that automation and different interfaces to legal processes and government processes were changing the world. So it makes me happy to see that this kind of trend is spreading and that more people have access to the kinds of rights that they are entitled to. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joshua, so much for hanging out with me today and explaining a little bit more about Do Not Pay. Uh, How would you recommend people stay current with you and your projects? I love Twitter. It's amazing. It's a free tool. So just follow me at jbrowder1 or Do Not Pay Law on Twitter. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, thank you for listening to another episode of the Security Tools Podcast. If you have an idea for an episode or if you know someone that should be on our podcast, send me a message on Twitter at Cody Kinsey. And if you want to learn more about how Veronis can keep your data secure, check out our cyber attack workshop. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.